You're listening to Giants Croncast, a podcast chronicling the San Francisco Giants, featuring Brian Murphy and Doug Brazoni, part of FFSN, Fans First Sports Network. Oh, I was going to do my intro for my other podcast, and then I realized I don't have to because we've got we've got that voice doing it. So, how you doing, Doug? Oh, I'm doing great. I uh, just sitting here on a Sunday afternoon, having a thinking about Bob Melvin. <laughs> what what more is there? <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the Giants' new coaching staff. Bob Melvin has basically filled that out. Um, we're going to talk about. Some other things here, some, like an off-season roundup, but also uh, looking forward to free agency, which I think this is going to be a big week for free agency. And then I'll have to issue a bit of an apology, I guess, in a little bit. But before we do all that, uh, Shamanaya, he has opted out. Uh, he had the option. Michael Conforto has opted in. And Ross Stripling, of course, had already mentioned back in September, early <laughs> September. He's like, you guys aren't getting rid of me. Oh, no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making more money anywhere else, so I'm staying. So I mean, uh, I love the Giants. That's what I mean. <laughs> so 18 million for Conforto, 12 and a half for Stripling. So what is that? 30 and a half million. It was funny looking at Cots MLB contracts because I guess the structure of of Mitch Hanniger's deal, it, he he had a bonus, or sorry, he had a signing bonus plus a base salary last year, and then this year his salary I think is 20 million. So that's fifty and a half million on Michael Conforto, Mitch Haniger, and Ross Stripling, who I believe combined for half a win last year, something like that. <laughs> anyway, what did, what did you think about the Conforto opt-in? Were you annoyed? A shrug? No, I mean, you, I kind of expected it. He, you know, they they said that the only reason he wouldn't basically is that it was such a weak market, such a weak market for outfielders who might be able to do better. But if you're Michael Conforto. If you're literally anyone who's ever played professional sports at any level, what your thought is, I'm good enough to go out there and have a better year and make more money next year. Um, so it kind of makes sense that he would, because, you know, he showed flashes last year of being good. Um, he just couldn't sustain it for the whole season. He fell off, I think, towards the end of the year. So, I mean, yeah, he's just betting on himself, and that's kind of what I expect athletes to do. He, You know, he might be better next year. It's entirely possible. He was a really good hitter at one point. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I kind of expected it. It also kind of feels like, well, of course the Giants are going to get someone actually good. That's not what they do. <laughs> they get guys who, they get, you know, of Stripling, Hanniger, and Conforto. I think one of them is going to be pretty good next year. I don't know which one, but I think one of those guys is going to have a good year. And the other two, you know, we'll, we'll see. They could be so bad that it wipes out the gain of the positive one. Yeah, we exactly. don't know. We'll find out. Exactly. Uh, but do you feel they like that $18 million, for example, or mainly, that complicates the offseason in any way? I mean, probably. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, sure. It's $18 million. Why wouldn't it? <laughs> but I mean, it's not like the Giants were going to win out on anybody anyway. So <laughs> we know they don't do that. Um, no, I mean, it, it could it, it could hurt them with the posting fees for Yamamoto and um, – the other, I don't know if they even want the other guy. Uh, sorry, other Japanese player whose name I forgot. Um, I don't know if they even want him. I know they're in on Jung Ho Lee. I know they're in on Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it could complicate that. I think my guess would be that Yamamoto would be a big enough draw for Japanese fans and Japanese media that the Giants could throw some extra money. They could throw the mythical Maddox money at him, finally, <laughs> after all these years. They could justify it. 
Okay, we I, we got to recontextualize. I know we've mentioned it before, but for people who are not into deep McCovey Chronicles lore, there was a running thought that the Giants always had like a rainy day fund, or it was suggested by Larry Bear, I believe, right? That there was always money in the budget if they could like get Greg Maddox or something. So yeah. it got boiled down to Maddox money. What if they use the Maddox money? <laughs> so it's still there. It's been gathering interest for like 20 years. I think that should be a good chunk of change. Could you imagine if they had actually done that and it, <laughs> and it had like a big return? It was a huge like endowment, the Maddox, the Maddox money endowment. <laughs> they, they actually use that on the Mission Rock project. That's, that's right. It that's it. <laughs> We're going to talk more about free agency and what money is involved here in in just a minute. I'll run through these transactions real quick, then we'll get to the coaching staff. Patrick Bailey did not win the NL Gold Glove for catcher, but he was a finalist, so that's good. I've I've seen some sources or uh, sites talk about how Patrick Bailey was snubbed, and I'm going to say no because... We all know that hitting is a component of the Gold Glove Award. That's kind of objectively, statistically, Fangraphs did an article on this. Like, yeah, if you're a bad enough hitter, you're going to probably lose to the better hitters. That te- and, the, and the better hitters aren't like fall down the stairs bad defenders either. Like if you're a pretty good or approaching elite defender and you're also a good hitter, you're going to get there. I just want to point out it's amazing that Patrick Bailey, like by one of the components of the voting for Gold Glove is the um, Sabre Defensive Index, which is like a culmination of several statistical categories. But Patrick Bailey was the second best defender by that measure in the sport, all positions. Number two, played under 100 games. Um, which hadn't happened, you know, Gold Glove winner who had caught uh, fewer than 100 games, that had not happened since the 90s with Benito Santiago, which would have been a fun bit of like Giants connection there. But I was relieved that he made it into the finalist circle. I was not as bummed that he lost. Yeah, I mean, I would say especially because his his arm kind of fell off at the end of the year, um, not as much as his bat, but it was kind of noticeable that he was not quite at the same level that last month or two that he was his first couple. Um, and you see that, and that's kind of, as the hype is built up around his defense, then suddenly people are going to put eyes on him and then suddenly his performance is going to slip a little bit and he can't hit anymore. You look at all that and you say, he's probably not going to win it. Um, right. But it's it's an honor just to be nominated. Uh, <laughs> he, um, but, you know, it was a good defensive showing for him. He's definitely on the radar. And so it's I think if he can keep up his the performance that he had those first two or three months in the majors, um, for all of next year, I think he's going to have a really good shot uh, in 2024. And, you know, I, I'd i like to believe, I'd certainly like to hope that having a former catcher as his manager is going to count for something in that regard, too. Now, they lost Craig Albernaz. You know, there's, you know, Kai Correa. I don't know how much, it doesn't seem like Kai Correa had much to do with the catching side. But, like, they've lost some coaches, which we'll talk about in a second. They've added some others. I would like to just believe that Bob Melvin being a former catcher, like that's going to work itself out, but we'll find out. Uh, one last awards thing I want to mention. Logan Webb is a finalist for the NL Cy Young, which will be announced on Wednesday, uh, this coming Wednesday. He's unlikely to win, <laughs> but he is a finalist 
So that's pretty good. Like I wrote a, like a, a console uh, concern trolling article being like, they're not even going to like make him a finalist. Harumph. <laughs> but like innings, like he's did, he's done so many um, things that a starting pitcher ought to do. Like he doesn't strike out the world, but he actually strikes out a pretty healthy number. He gets great uh, like ground balls, uh, limiting home runs, um, not on the road, um, like hits like there, his ERA is, is low. It's not Blake Snell low. And I'm, I'm actually just sitting there going like, you know, Blake Snell, probably a no brainer ERA, even though they've gotten, the writers have stopped looking at pitcher wins, excuse me, the voters have stopped focusing on pitcher wins, which is a good thing. And still seems like ERA carries a lot of weight. And I, I don't know, I'm not going to like really push too hard against that. But Logan Webb had such an accomplished season, pitched so many innings. That's the other part. Like another component of the Bailey thing was uh, Gabby Moreno, who won the award. Like he played the whole season, right? And he was very good. It's like, you know, and the idea of Patrick Bailey being dropped in and kind of swooping in to take the award, that would have been like a historic thing. It would have been really impressive. And that's where it was trending. And then as you point out, all the reasons. But like basically – Start to finish, Logan Webb was one of the best pitchers, top 10 in the sport all season long. Uh, and Blake Snell was too, but he was pitching five or six innings, all that stuff. So it's like, I just, I'm glad he got recognized. And if he doesn't win on Wednesday, which according, suggested by Jeff Passan's tweet of how <laughs> it, he seemed to tweet out the actual winning order of everything instead of like alphabetical, that he'll, he seems like he'll be the third place winner. I, you know, that seems like a very good, positive thing for the Giants uh, for the next couple of years. They have a Cy Young Award caliber starting pitcher at the front of the rotation. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, that I, so I wrote an article about how Passan had basically, Passan had basically given away the order of all the awards. And I was like, <laughs> you know, Jeff, Logan Webb's not going to win it. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. Um it's kind of funny because he's actually ahead in Fangraph's war. He's ahead of Blake Snell. Mm-hmm. He has those extra 36 innings at a, at a better FIP. Because Blake Snell drastically overperformed all of his peripherals this year um, to get that 225 ERA. Uh, so someone's going to overpay him based on that probably. And that's fine. You enjoy that, Blake Snell. Right. It is kind of funny that neither Snell nor Webb was actually in the top three for fan graphs in the NL top yes. three, Spencer Strider, Zach Gallen, and Justin Steele. I have never heard of Justin Steele before this moment. Uh, <laughs> he pitched against the Giants. <laughs> you think I remember Giants games. They were very boring. <laughs> okay, no, sorry. The top one, top three were Zach Wheeler, Spencer Strider, and Zach Gallen. Uh, Logan yeah. Webb basically tied with Justin Steele. But their um, ERAs were Strider and, and Wheeler were like approaching yeah. four. Yeah, because uh, that the FIP calculations. Yep. So they don't get it. Sorry, yep. guys. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, Webb had a Webb had a really good season. I think if you watch Logan Webb's season saying, yeah, he comes in third in the Cy Young race, you're like, that's it. That's that's about right. That's I, right where he should fall. Great point. I, I totally agree. Um I, I if he had had a better road performance you know what i mean and i and actually given how stark just the era splits were for that i'm like it would have had to been a lot better on the road (laughs) you know i think that changes the conversation quite a lot but uh, yeah i mean it was a great season for him especially you know he's got the extension 
sign, you know, it could have gone in in a, another way. And there were definitely moments, there were little little tiny stretches where it was like, hmm, what's going on here? I think we we remained steadfast the whole time. Like Logan Webb is fine. This yeah. is gonna all, it'll all work out. But um, like his his for his month of April wasn't great, but like mm-hmm. just watching like in a couple of those starts he looked bad, but then he recovered and looked fine the next three, but still the results weren't there. Like Kapler left him in an inning too long or something. And you're just looking at me like he's fine. It's it's yeah. gonna be fine. So let's talk about the new manager who will be managing Logan Webb's workload innings pitch. And that's Bob Melvin. Uh, we've already talked about that hiring. And um, I mean, uh, my my opinion hasn't changed very much. It's fine. I mean, <laughs> I, I hope it works out. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But he's assembled most of his coaching staff. We're going to find out the rest of that probably this week. Um, there's probably some reasons for that. Some people who might. Um, might be staying, but are have been given permission or have the flexibility to go because their contracts expired. You know, Andrew Bailey could be talking to other teams, is what I'm saying, but he could be back, and maybe that's why they don't have a pitching coach. That's one of the names vacant here. Let's just run through the list of all of them. I, I'm going to try to work from the bottom up here. Antoine Richardson gone, so there's yeah. that. Uh, JP Martinez, Alyssa Nakin, and Tyra, Tyra Umatsu will return. Umatsu's been with the team for how long? Since at least the Oracle Park era. Yeah. So yeah. I remember uh, one of the games I covered uh, as a reporter in like 2019. Uramatsu, like before the game, he like he had just missed getting hit by like a stray throw during practice. And I remember someone asked Bochy, do you see that? What do you think? He was like, oh man, we can't lose Tyra. We lose Tyra. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Mark Hallberg moving from third base coach to third base coach. And that's to make way for the arrival to first base coach, third base coach, to first base coach. That's to make way for new third base coach, Matt Williams. Never heard of him. I will have to talk about in a minute. Okay. Uh, former giant star, uh, the big Marine co-hitting coach. Not, not, I like that the, it was kind of leaked or announced that he was just the hitting coach. And then there was like a scramble to be like, what? Pat Burrell, Pat the Bat, is the <laughs> hitting coach. What a He's great, back. that's a great, if you want a hitting coach to have a nickname, Pat the Bat is <laughs> a really good one. But he will not be the de facto hitting coach. He will be the co-hitting coach with Justin Veely and Pedro Guerrero somehow holding on to their jobs, coming back for another season. Uh, I think it's just because I think I remember reading they were under contract for one more season and the Giants just re- would rather pay them than hire someone else and while well, still having to pay theirs. That seems uh, a little implausible just because I don't think they pay coaches that much. I agree, but I'm all then, then it's just like, what is the value proposition? <laughs> I mean, these two are associated with a pretty remarkable stench of failure. I don't, <laughs> I don't true. know. It's weird. It's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's weird that Gabe Kapler and Anton Richard, Antoine Richardson and, probably Kai Correa, we don't actually know yet as of this recording, that they're the fall guys and that's it. Like the, <laughs> the hitting coaches stay. That's weird. It's weird. Like in the history of baseball, it's unusual, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, the hitting coaches are the first people to go, even when like they're not doing that much wrong. Just if right. the team can't hit, you get a new coach and be like, maybe that'll help. And the yeah. guy's like, or we, we could go another way. Yeah. Um, and let's see who, who am I missing here? And then the new bench coach is Ryan Christensen, um, who I knew as the Nazi salute guy. 
Nazi salute guy. Yeah. yeah. He gave a Nazi salute when he was with the A's. Accidentally, according <laughs> to him, I don't know how a middle-aged person gives a Nazi salute accidentally. Uh, I'm trying to like imagine he gets caught up in a moment and misinterprets something. Uh, <laughs> I, what I, he said. Me, I, I thought that guy wanted me to give a Nazi salute. That's right. He's like, I thought that's what they, we were doing now. And I'm like, I don't know. Oh, so you were just following orders. That's right. <laughs> was this, I mean, this was 2020 that this happened. This was like no fans around. It was, but it was also like August 7th, 2020. So like the George Floyd protests, the social justice outcry was in full swing. I think even a month after that, there was big protests uh, on Washington, D.C. It was in the air. Was this the same year where there was an A who like kneeled and that caused a big kerfuffle? Um, was that the season? The same season? Probably. Uh, I feel like I feel like that happened. I mean, there were a couple of giants who kneeled too, so. Oh, sure. I'm just saying, you yeah. know, the idea of doing something that carries with it so much weight of in of <laughs> racial insensitivity like uh, this guy is the bench coach that's a pretty important job with a lot of thinking involved and if he does something that thoughtless it really calls into question like his ability to coach or like be like think about things i don't know uh, you know if people get mad at that idea like oh you're gonna focus on this one mistake i'm just gonna roll it into this giant the, this larger idea why are we happy that are liberators from Gabe Kapler, I guess, because there's a lot of people who hate Gabe Kapler and they're glad he's gone. Why is the disgraced coaching staff of the San Diego Padres suddenly our savior? Why are they being welcomed with open arms just because they're like, they're vaguely former giants. Like Bob Melvin has not been a giant for a long time. Matt Williams has not been a giant for a long, long time. Here's where I'm going to make issue my apology. Matt Williams hasn't been a giant for a long time. But I, uh, some trusted people told me like, hey, you, you idiot, you piece of shit, you dumb motherfucker, <laughs> you kicked the puppy. Like he was a lot of player, people's favorite player growing up. And just to just wash that aside was really stupid. So I apologize. That's true. I wasn't, I was not a Matt Williams guy growing up. I was Will Clark, Kevin Mitchell, uh, and then it was Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent. So I feel like I, I, I rooted for the good players. But anyway, <laughs> I get it. And, you know, Rennell is the one saying, like, I'm so nervous around Matt Williams. I love him so much. I love Rennell. So if Rennell is saying, hey, Matt Williams is a cool dude, I got to I got to adjust my thinking here. But my I promise everyone my thoughts on Matt Williams being revered uh, is like my problem with that is solely based on this managing coaching career. I swear to you, that's all I've decided. Like as I've thought about him in the last 20 plus years, it's been as a failure of a coach as like a human <laughs> toothache. He is like a fun police. He's a red ass play the game the right way. Like he, you know, he got mad that remember when they were with the Padres, Mauricio Dubon bunting, I think was that, was that? Yeah, that's right. So it's like it's like fun. we're now back into like old school baseball and no fun. This is your professional and the job. And I don't know. I Let's run through his coaching career real quick. I sent this in the rundown. Yeah, you did. <laughs> 2010 to 2013. It was the Diamondbacks. I believe he was the third base coach there, too. They had a 65 and 97. His one winning season, they lost to NLDS. That was in 2011. 
So when the Giants fell down, but they went 94 and 68, but on either side of that, 65 and 97, and then 81 and 81. So you might say like, oh, well, there he was there for an upswing. But then that second season, it was just kind of whatever. He was kind of talked up in that uh, 2011 season going into 2012. It's like, he's the next new thing. He's the next big thing. I think he was on Kirk Gibson's staff, right? So compared to Kirk, Kirk Gibson, Matt Williams probably seemed like a cool guy, right? <laughs> like fun and loose and all that stuff. And then, so he goes to the Nationals and they have a good year in 2014 up until they run into Bruce Bochy, who said he was like giddy when Matt Williams pulled Jordan Zimmerman, Jordan Zimmerman in game two of the NLDS. He lost that series for them with his managing moves because it's just what you do. In 2015, they wrote him out of town a year after he won the National League Manager of the Year Award. So then he goes back to the Diamondbacks in 2016. They go 69 and 93. He's not asked back. And then they proceed to have three winning seasons. Doug, do you know what he did in 2017? Uh, he, I believe he was an analyst. He was an analyst for NBC Sports before Giants games. The Giants went 64 and 98. <laughs> Just his mere presence on the TV <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> but then the A's brought him in uh, to be their third base coach starting in 2018. And in 2018 and 2019, the A's pulled nays and had two 97 win seasons each. But guess what? They're bouncing the first round. I feel like any A's stat is like quantified by like, Billy Bean shit doesn't work in the playoffs, so should we give this a lot of weight? <laughs> I don't know. But he had two successful seasons with the A's in 2018 and 2019. Here's where it gets interesting for me. And I forgot about this. 2020 and 2021, for two seasons, he managed the Kia. It's the Kia KIA Tigers. Or is it the Kia Tigers? No. It's the Kia Tigers. So teams in Korea are all sponsored it's by a company. Fully sponsored, so right. So it's that company. So it's Kia the car. Kia Motors, yes. Uh, so he became the first American-born manager of the KBO. And and then on November 5th, 2021, after two seasons, it was announced that Williams would not be returning in 2022 after the club finished ninth place. Uh, and that's after they went 73 and 71 in this first year. The year after they left, they, went, they were in fifth place. They were 70 and 73 and a wild card because of the way they do their playoffs. And uh, in this past season, they were sixth place, but 73 and 69. And then he was with the Padres and we kind of know what happened in NLCS in 2022. But I want to point it out, point out that what happened? How did they get to the NLCS where they lost pretty easily? They rinsed the Dodgers, right? In the first round, everyone rinses the Dodgers. That's not an accomplishment. <laughs> Uh, and then in 2023, we saw that he was part of a coaching staff of one of the most disappointing teams of the century, for sure. Um, so I kind of feel like this Padres staff has tainted goods. And I also feel like Matt Williams' managerial coaching record career, you know, it could be a combination of bad luck, you know, just being like at weird times of rebuild cycles. But I also just think like he has a note and he can play it and maybe that might work in the short term, but does it work beyond like a season or two? But just the fact that people have pulled out a seat for him and then very quickly asked him to leave kind of tells me a lot more about like, I get it. You want to give people other chances, but like how many organizations do guys need to uh, be associated with before you're like, well, maybe it is him. And so it's just, that was my thinking all along. Also, I, helped develop a, a reality show that he was an advisor on. It was, here's the premise, Doug. 
what if we got a bunch of wannabe or hopeful baseball people who haven't been able to make the cut? This is before all the minor leagues were like pared down. So it'd be interesting to try this again. It was called Field of Dreams. And it was basically like a bunch of guys trying to do like fantasy camp, trying to actually make a team by like winning a reality show competition of playing. And Matt Williams is going to be some sort of advisor. He was a stick in the mud for that. People did not like working with him on that. But I apologize because I'm sorry. I really am because it's like I just don't I just didn't think that people thought of him as like their favorite player growing up. But once that was like, hey, you forgot about this. It's like, obviously, I'm an idiot. So there's that. But I've always been an idiot. You knew that, Doug, when you signed up. (laughs) That's true. That's that's the dynamic. That's right. You say something stupid, and then I say, Brian, you ignorant slut. That's right. I mean, if Will Clark had gone around and been a manager elsewhere or in coach and had the same exact record, I mean, there's other reasons why I'm like, well, whatever, Will Clark. I mean, he's not Jeff. Jeffrey Leonard doesn't like him. I'll say that much. (laughs) But but like if my favorite player had gone through, like that's different from their playing days. But um, all that said, I want to talk up Pat Burrell because – I actually think that this is one of those things that threads the needle between like nostalgia and like trying to like launder the Giants inability to sign big free agents and improve their team. Uh, They're not just using nostalgia to launder launder those failings. Pat Burrell's been a roving hitting instructor with the organization for a long time now um, and and has received nothing but high marks. And I think this is a sign of a healthy organization where you're not only promoting from within, but they're they're coming up along with the prospects they've been coaching up all through the levels. And I think it's really cool. Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, in theory, at least right. Burl's going to know how to talk to the young players. He's going to know how to work with them. He's going to know what they look like when they're going right. Um, Cause you know, he's seen them in the minors when their swing was, was working well. And it's possible. Justin Vealy hasn't Pedro Guerrero hasn't, you know, they see them in the majors to see what they can do there, but you kind of need that other, you can at least use that other perspective of, you know, when he's doing, when he would do this, he would strike out a lot. So this, this is the fix we put in when he was younger. He's probably comfortable with that. Um, so we could, we can try that here. Um, I think it does make a lot of sense for the the giants to have him do that. And uh, it's weird that I've seen the, like I've seen the, the, the tweet, like, Giants hire Pat Burrell as hitting coach. There will always be someone, and they're like, "Well, he was a two fifty three hitter in the majors." So, mm-hmm. like, what wh- what does that have to do with anything? Like, guys have physical limitations. Get, you know, he hit for a lot of power. He wasn't a high average guy. That's fine. That's still a valuable hitter. Like, and that doesn't mean he can't teach someone to be a high average guy. It means that like it's not. It wasn't his. T- he wasn't that type of hitter, and he understood that, which is not a bad thing. Like to understand the difference between between a Pat Burrell and a Tyro Estrada. Um, you coach them differently. You know, that right. said, who, who knows how it's going to turn out, right? Like, you can't just go based on how successful of a guy, of a, of a player somebody was. You know, Donnie Ecker, I don't remember his major league career very well. Apparently, he's a really good hitting coach. Um, <laughs> the, like, maybe the best ever? I don't know. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, Ted Barry Bonds, great hitter, possibly the best ever. Not a good hitting coach. Yeah. Uh, Ted Williams had a ton of information to impart, but I never got the impression he was that he was that good at the coaching side of it. Because at some point, if you're really good, 
your advice is going to be, well, just, just hit the ball. Like it's coming in. You just hit it hard. Like, why don't you know how to do that? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, Burrow ha- certainly had struggles in the majors. I think that'll help. Uh, he also had some good years. So I think that's a, that's kind of a good mix to have. Not to say there were similar kinds of hitters, but you know, Dusty Baker made like one or two all-star teams in his playing career and turned out to be a good enough hitting coach that he was a manager for 25 years. So, I mean, I think that would be, that would be great. I I'm hoping I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, and I'm just gonna, gonna go into the season thinking Pat Burrell is getting it done. Pat, the bat is back, back, baby. You know, it's another sign of, I said a healthy organization, but like you want to have a sense that the giants development pipeline has some value and can generate value. And I think, the coaching staff or the the people involved with it. That's a big part of it too. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, maybe Vili and uh, Guerrero are there just to be like, here's the paperwork you have to fill out. <laughs> this is like the procedural stuff we have to do every day. Cause Pepperell's like, you know, I just show up and this is what I do. And they're like, that's great. But did you clock in or whatever? I don't know. I mean, Pepperell's not a they're there, to go, they're there to go out with him in the Marina and keep him from getting into trouble. That's the well, sure. Uh, he is five years sober. That's something worth mentioning. I didn't mention it in my write-up only because uh, I made a, like a flippant comment like, oh, J.D. Davis looks really relaxed there. And, and someone like threw a flag and be like, Pat Burrell's been sober for five years. I really just meant like he took J.D. Davis to his old dominatrix or something. And he's like, <laughs> I know how to get these guys laid and loosen them up. And I don't think he's going to do that with the younger players. I'm just saying like J.D. Davis is enough of a veteran. Maybe Pat Burrell's like, I know just what you need. Her name is Madam Fantastic. Any other final thoughts on this? Um, not preliminary, but the coaching staff as it stands. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of a lot of retreads, but maybe they'll be good. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to have an opinion <laughs> on coaches. I think that's the perfect line. Yeah. Quite a lot of retreads, which is pretty traditional in the industry, and maybe it'll be good. The pitching coach angle is important because – that Brian Bannister, remember all the, the pre hiring, like when it was like, he was in the mix, like he had a track record. He had a philosophy that you could like tie to certain things. I think the Giants' strength is still their pitching. I think the way forward for them is making their pitching even better. Like, and just keep doubling down, pitching and defense, pitching and defense. If someone figures out how to hit great, but we just got to keep doing pitching and defense. Um, And so just the idea that, I don't want them to lose any little bit of that. Uh, and credit, I mean, the Padres were a, a good pitching group last year and the year before. So, like, that's maybe not so much a concern with this new group. But, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, maybe Andrew Bailey will be back. I don't know. Um, and if not, it'll be Brian Price. And that'll be another retread, though, I'm going to have a really big problem with. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have a really big problem with that one. Um, anyway. Uh, Let's move on to this offseason, which I think this is going to be a very big week for free agency. I think we're going to actually maybe see some deals or some really big rumors. If the deals are, they could be a signing or a trade or something. I don't know if the Giants are going to be involved, um, but I think this seems like everything's approaching like something's going to happen this week. It'd be funny if it didn't, but in any case, I know some some people are players are being posted with the, the name we can't remember, but I think also Yamamoto's posting is going to be happening this week. I think I remember reading it's before last week. It was before the end of next week or 
Am I wrong? Okay. That? Okay. So the other guy is Shota Imanaga. There we go. That's his name. Um, yeah. I mean, it could be this week. We, you know, it'd be exciting to see. Uh, I, you know, it always feels like people are like, well, this is the week things are going to happen. And especially this year when the big players are kind of trying to just make their pitch to Otani. Um, that could hold things up because the Dodgers might be telling, I don't know, Aaron Nola, right? Uh, just just give it a minute. We need to see. And Aaron Nola's like, I mean, yeah, I want to be on the Dodgers. So let's let's give it a minute. Um, that that does seem to happen that sometimes it takes that first domino to fall, and we don't know when that's going to happen. And I guess there was one rumor that um, that Otani actually might not be looking to do this, drag this out for very long, which could help speed things up. Not, I don't mean that Otani's going to sign this week, but I think he has like a, a Disney documentary coming out in December. Yeah. So I could imagine that maybe there's some marketing tie in with that where he's like, that's all settled and he's got his new team, but who knows? Um, I, some issues for the, though, I want to point out, we don't really know how much the giants have to spend. Like we could look at previous payroll trends, uh, Ben Caspic on his podcast, he pointed out like the Giants payroll has been pretty consistently in this range the last couple of years. Then every team got that $30 million payment from MLB advanced media. And look, the Giants payroll went up $30 million. And so his point was like, let's see what happens now. Even with all the money they've freed up, even with the money that they have with Conforto and Stripling uh, opting in, like, is that going to still stay in that plus 30 million range or is it going to fall? You know what I mean? Fall down somewhere in there. So that's one element. I'm, I'm like for the moment discounting Greg Johnson's break even and uh, comment or, you know, we'll reach if it's to get a good player because there's some other things just to keep in mind. Like how willing are the Giants going to be to pay two posting fees? Because the, the Japanese League and the KBO, they have the same posting structure, which is uh, 20% of the first... 25 million, um, 20% of the next 25, sorry, 20% of the first 25 million of a deal, 17.5% of the next 25, and then 15% of everything over the next, uh, basically over 50 million. Um, and so, like, just using Fangraph's calculation estimates, and there's been a lot of estimates out there about what these free agents could get, but let's just be super conservative. Fangraph's tends to be the one that you know, a lot of front office people get hired out of there. So I'm just going to go with them for the moment. Um, they have Yamamoto at seven years and 96 million. That would be a 31.3 million posting fee. And they have Jung-Hoo Lee at four years, 60 million. And that would be 10.9 million posting fees. So that's $42.2 million in posting fees. Now that doesn't count against the, the CBT. So it doesn't implicate for their tax, but that's just $42 million out the door. That doesn't go into Mission Rock, doesn't go right. into Greg Johnson's pockets, it's just out the door. Um, and then I don't even know how much of an appetite they would have for signing players with draft picks attached. So those are the qualifying offer players, Otani, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Blake Snell, Josh Hader, Aaron Nola, and Sonny Gray. And remember, if you signed those and the Giants were a team that weren't in the luxury tax and they didn't receive revenue sharing, but if they do it, they're going to lose their second highest pick and $500,000 from their international bonus pool uh, for the upcoming signing period. And then if 
you sign two of them, then it would be their third pick and another $500,000 and so on and so on. So that's quite a lot, like especially if it was one qualifying offer offer player and let's say Yamamoto, that's quite a lot of money and um, flexibility kind of going out the door. So we don't know that. So I'm setting all this up, Doug, to kind of get you into this lightning round of questions. Does your perfect offseason involve Shohei Otani becoming a giant? Uh, yes, but I'm not banking. Like, well, I know that's fine. Yeah, uh, we don't yes, have to get into that. Yes, yeah. it does. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I would say so too. And I definitely think it's not, it's a perfect off season, but I don't know that Otani is a perfect move that answers everything. You right. know what I mean? Like, and it's like, but if you get him on the team, it like, it really changes every, it changes the culture. I mean, let's just start there at the most basic level. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to a guy who's consistently slugged over 500. And there's been like very few players, left-handed hitters to do that at Oracle Park. I don't know. I don't know, but he'd be on the team. So let's find out. <laughs> uh, what about your feelings on Matt Chapman? He was uh, talking to Bob Melvin at the winter meetings. He went, or sorry, the GM meetings. Uh, he went to the GM meetings. Did he deliver the norovirus? <laughs> I mean, he might have. You don't know. He, he might have brought it in from Canada. Um, <laughs> I would prefer to avoid him. I think that he's J.D. Davis, but better, but like a little better. Um, I don't think his, his bat is good enough to, for him to really be with the Giants need. I think that's kind of the biggest thing. If they're going to spend a lot of money on a position player, it needs to be somebody with the bat to justify it because they can find a good defender. Um, and, you know, they have obviously... Casey Schmidt isn't hitting, but, um, you know, he can, he can field over there pretty well. Uh, Matt Chapman last year had an OPS plus of 108. The year before is 116. The year before is 100. I mean, 116 is good, right? But it's not that good that you justify, you justify a massive contract. Next year is his age 31 year. Um, he strikes out a ton. I just, I, I don't see it as, I don't see him as being, a huge offensive difference maker. There's maybe like a, another, a lot of people were able to like get their thoughts together and put out a lot of articles about off season plans for the giants. And like, I haven't been able to do that cause I'm dumb, but two, <laughs> like to me, Matt Chapman would reflect like, okay, if they miss out at the top levels, Matt Chapman would make sense if like they're then being super aggressive on the trade front and like they're mixing and moving stuff around. But Matt Chapman definitely feels like things have not worked out. He has a tremendous obvious value for sure, but it's also sort of like, yeah, the age, the the draft pick compensation, like you're giving up kind of a lot for someone who's going to really just help you run in place. And honestly, like Conforto, Hanniger, Chapman, these are all like the same ilk of like good three years ago, would have loved to have had him three years ago, right? And it's like, eh, what's good? Not encouraging, even though, again, people in the Bay Area like Matt Chapman. He's got the Bob Delvin connection. I, my feelings on him are are mixed. How do you see the shortstop situation shaking out? Now, I ask that because uh, Far Anxiety has mentioned that the Giants were probably looking for shortstop help. I think having Chapman would. But, you know, and previously in the offseason, at the start of the offseason, he said that they were hoping that Luciano could be their everyday shortstop for the season. Um it's been weird to like talk, hear the Giants talk about depth, but you know Dixon Machado, that deal still stands out. <laughs> you know they're still like trying desperately to find 
you know, backups or people that could fill that out. Um, so I don't know. How do you see that shortstop situation shaking out? It's that's a tough one. I feel like they're going to trade. They're going to trade for someone. I think um, you can't just it's hand there. it. I, that's the problem, right? But you can't just hand it to Luciano and hope. Um, I don't think they they want to do that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they will. They've done stuff before that leaves me shaking my head. Um, but you're you're kind of setting yourself up for a similar for something similar to the Bocock situation, right? Where you didn't have a backup plan to Omar Vizquel and you really should have had a backup plan. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a very different reason you should have a backup plan for Luciano than for a 42 or 43-year-old Vizquel. But you don't know how good Luciano is going to be next year. So you, there needs to be somebody else who can step in there. Uh, is Casey Schmidt that guy? I'm going to say no. Um, I, I guess Tyler Fitzgerald, maybe. But I, you are banking an awful lot on somebody that, you know, is extremely unproven at the major league level. And we saw how it went last year where the giants had to put their trust in those guys and it didn't, it didn't go great. So, you know, if they're hoping to compete, if they're hoping to be a good team, then yeah, they need to, they need to go out and find somebody and it's basically going to have to be on the trade market unless there's, you know, someone who like a American player in like Korea or something who wants to come back that I don't know about. Uh, But otherwise they, I would be surprised and it would seem like malpractice to just go with Luciano without um, a plausible backup option. Now you get, you can get a little crazy if they say had Chapman, if they got Chapman at third base, you would think that that helps with Luciano's situation at short or anyone else they would get in there because they wouldn't be Brandon Crawford, Uh, you know, but you could get crazy. Tyro Estrada is playing more shortstop, maybe. Tyler Fitzgerald is over at second base, or you get another second baseman, you know, someone that actually is a really solid second baseman. Um, I mean, there's things that you could do, but yeah, obviously you don't want to start there. Um, And I got to be honest with you, I don't know. I'm completely similarly foggy of like, I don't know what they're going to do. That seems like a really big lift to get someone that can be, you know, a really good defender there. Uh, or someone that can hit, or both. It just seems like, yeah, every team wants a good shortstop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's really hard to see how that goes. Um, let's see. And then the last question I had was, with Alex Cobb expected to miss at least the first month of the season following hip surgery, and his health would be uncertain, I would think, after the recovery process, which could delay his return or his effectiveness once he returns, I guess I'm asking you, Doug, is it Yamamoto or bust or is there another option in your mind starting pitcher wise? And they've already got Ross Stripling, so They don't need like Jacob <laughs> Junis back. Um, and so I guess, you know, but they're now they're kind of like in a situation where they have to do a Kevin Gossman, Carlos Rodon deal, which is quite ironic. I feel. <laughs> so. um, I mean, there, so there are other pitchers out there. There Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be like the top of the market. Sonny Gray is a little bit older, so they'll probably get him on a shorter term deal. You know, it doesn't have to be Aaron Nola. It doesn't have to be Blake Snell. Um, I think Yamamoto is obviously their biggest target there for the pitching staff. Uh, but there are other options if that falls through, and those other options could be. There's a. I don't mean to like as damning this with faint praise. It's just they they have a really good chance of being good pitchers for the Giants. Um, they could. You know, if they're if the their driveline people or their pitching staff see something, they could take a shot on Lucas Giolito, who's still pretty young. I, I'm assuming that's going to be a short term deal to prove himself. 
Um, so, I mean, that would be a, a kind of a low risk option. Oh, you might have it. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, yep. I mean, the one thing I see with him is he's a four seam guy. And so <laughs> the first thing they're going to want to do is be like, can you throw a Sinka? Like, that's the first <laughs> exactly. I really think that might actually be the needle they have, they thread. Yeah, Cause you're right. It, what's a one year, one year, like a one in one for him. Right. It, it'd probably be another Conforto 18 and 18. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Or, or maybe for him, it would be like 10 million just because he had such a rough end. Of oh, year. so bad. He was so <laughs> bad that. They he was traded twice. Play. In fairness, yeah. he was traded twice. One of those was to the Mariners or to the Angels. That's right. bad. That's not That's fun. Really bad. That's you don't want to go there. Yeah. And uh, then you know, hey, if the Giants get him, maybe he could re- recruit his best friend Shohei Otani. <laughs> um, it almost feels like, given how quickly that all fell apart, that they might not have even met. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. You really just kind of like, I just woke up from a cold sweat. I'm like, yes, that makes perfect sense. Lucas Giolito on it. That was the most Giants move possible. That's right. Because they can, you can obviously argue like this is an ace potential player. We said we weren't going to play to the back of the rotation. (laughs) Here is a guy we believe gives us front of the rotation ability. That's right. I actually kind of am leaning towards it is Yamamoto or bust. Even though some of the numbers that are thrown out there and the posting fee on top of it seems like severe, and they missed out on Kodai Senga, which would have been very helpful to them. Um, I don't know, but I guess outside of Yamamoto, and I guess I can't believe I'm saying this outside of a pillow deal for Lucas Giolito, I'm kind of like I. It feels like you're not you have you're going to have to overspend for pretty much any player the Giants hope to get except or even maybe uh, Matt Chapman. Like, I mean, I'm just like, he makes the most sense to really blow it out for. If you only are going to be able to make one big move. I just want to point out, like, I am not saying the Giants aren't going to get any of these guys. I'm trying to lay off that. This is my uh, my thought for the offseason, Doug. My spidey senses are not tingling as strong for Otani as it was for Giancarlo Stanton as it was for Bryce Harper, as it was for Aaron Judge, where it's just so obvious on its face, like, no, it's not happening. <laughs> I think because Otani's already been down the path, of, like he's been in a room with Larry Bear before, like, and the Giants were still in the mix. And um, and the team is even talking like, well, if they had a DH, could have gone a little differently. You know, um, seeing what the Giants are doing, I think they help pitchers. I mean, helping pitchers rehab, if nothing else, what was this John Brevia, Luke Jackson experience all about? You know, Jake McGee, send him down to Sac- send him down to Sacramento. Fix those <laughs> mechanics. So I guess in terms of like, maybe he could see that the Giants could offer themselves as like, we are a team that's going to optimize your health for pitching. Like, we don't want you to stop pitching. We want your hitting. You know, and here's a challenge, Otani. You haven't really hit at Oracle Park. He's played like two games there, but like, he's like, you know, he, this is a challenge for you to overcome. Can you be Barry Bonds? You have the chance. No one since Barry Bonds has been able to turn this park into their own park. And you could, the giants have a lot of egotistical selling points. And now it just comes down to, are they going to offer the money? There's just a part of me that believes with judge, they were willing to offer that money because they were like, 
he's not, he's using us. It's just not, <laughs> this is all bullshit. And it was all bullshit. But, um, and with the Korea thing, everyone's like, well, what about Korea and all that stuff? I have thoughts about that. Maybe I'll talk about next time. But uh, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is like, I'm not like totally wildly optimistic uh, that the Giants have a chance of getting any of these guys. But I'm, I guess I'm like, in my own heart, I'm not foreclosing. I mean, they need Yamamoto. Let's be clear. Yeah. Jung-Hoo Lee, I really like the profile and I like they're excited about him and scouting him as much as, as Yamamoto. But I, then I saw that he had like, he broke his ankle. I'm like, well, no, we're back in Korea territory. So <laughs> that, he's done. All right. So our next episode will be once the Giants make their first big free agent signing. So that means if for some reason their first signing is like John Brebbia, like they just pick it, they just like signed him to a one year deal. We're not going to come back for that, but it's going to be uh, the first big free agent signing. And at that time, I think we'll talk about whoever the pitching coach hire is. Um, I'm, I've been checking the social media. I don't see any hiring announcements since then. So we'll be back for that moment whenever that happens. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Doug, you're still writing about the Giants you mentioned. Where can they find I, you? I am. I'm at giantsdoug.substack.com every Tuesday and Thursday. Brian, where can people come find you? I'm at mccoveychronicles.com for now. So <laughs> I made a lot of people upset with my Matt Williams comments. And again, I'm sorry for dismissing that he's a lot of people's favorite player. Um, don't forget to check out Fans First Sports Network, fansfirstsports.com. You can go check out all the sports that we have podcasts for on that network. 49ers, they are, have the Gold Standard podcast, the Warriors, the Oakland Warriors podcast you've heard me mention before. Uh, so until next time, go Giants. <laughs>